An inspiring story out of Kenosha. A student being bullied at a junior high school basketball game caught the attention of the basketball players. And those players walked off the court to defend her. Michelle Fiore reports from Kenosha. Well, this is where it all happened for Desiree Andrews. As she was being bullied from these stands, a couple of boys on the basketball team said, enough's enough. And that's where this bullying situation turned her life around. Desiree Andrews no longer walks to class alone. Students have been drawn to her after a situation that could have taken away this pretty smile. The kids in the audience were picking on D, so we all stepped forward. Andrews has Down syndrome. These three boys were in the middle of a game when they heard something upsetting directed at one of their cheerleaders, a girl who dances to her own beat. So when I heard that, they're talking about her like it kind of like made me mad. Basketball players stepped to action, walked off the court and asked the bully to stop. It's not fair when other people get treated wrong because we're all the same. We're all created the same. God made us the same way. Dee and the boys are now eighth graders and last night played their last game in the gymnasium that they have affectionately dedicated to their friend. Are they calling it something special? Yeah. What is it? Dee's house. Dee's house? Yeah. How does that make you feel? Good. The athletic director tells us the name has stuck. He's planning to make a banner officially calling the gym Dee's house. What did your family think? I think they're sweet, kind, and awesome, and amazing. Sweet, awesome, kind, and amazing? Yeah. Well, Desiree's next steps high school. As for her future, she says she wants to be famous. We think she's already famous. In Kenosha, Michelle Fiore, today's TMJ4. She's pretty famous already. It's Dee's house. She is. I loved how those young men stepped up. Hey, great job. I, I love that video. I love videos like that one and that one specifically. The first uh, probably four or five times I, I watched it, I've known about it for a while. I, I cried like a baby because I'm just a big marshmallow inside, and I look like one on the outside, so that's what happens. But uh, big softy. Now, the thing I love about that video is that we see people those young men didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to say anything, but they literally stopped in the middle of their basketball game to stick up for somebody who culture might say is less than. And what does that have to do with today? Well, I think that they showed the exact character of Jesus. I think Jesus is the ultimate character guy. Now, he was a lot of things. He was a wonderful teacher. He was a great leader. He performed miracle after miracle. But his legacy, in my mind, the thing that's most important is that time after time, he stood up for those that society and that culture in his day and age may have considered an easy target. And ultimately, he gave his life for the entire undeserving whole of humanity. Today we look at Jesus as Savior. Jesus as Savior. His most important role, his most important job, I think that he would say that and agree with that statement as well. Now the thing I love about Jesus is that he did a whole lot to save people before he ever got up on that cross. And he did some amazing things. And so today we're going to look at Jesus as Savior, what that means for us, what his example was telling us as Christians. And um, I'll be honest, I'm a little nervous about today's sermon. I, I, I maybe should have saved this one for after the vote next week. 
Uh, I'm going to say some things that I know some people are not going to like. I'm not saying them because I know you're not going to like them. I'm not saying them to be controversial or to be, you know, gotcha or to rile you up. I'm saying them because after much prayer and much consideration, I truly feel that this is not only what I see in Scripture, but it's what God has laid on my heart to deliver. So keep that in mind. You can stone me after, but remember the, those of you that don't have sin can pick up the first stone. So we'll, we'll talk about that as well. Now, the first thing that Jesus did was that Jesus saved people from themselves. He saved people from themselves. If we look in John 4 in small group, this should sound familiar because we talked about it, but John 4 verses 5, we're going to go, we'll split it up a little bit, but we'll go all the way to 26. So a lot of scripture today, bear with me. Starts out like this. It says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph's. Now, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, they say that in uh, parentheses, bracket, whatever you want to call it. They put it in a little side note that his disciples were in town. I think that they said that because uh, this would have elicited a, a giant reaction from them. They would not have been happy with what they were seeing. There would have been some uproar. So just to explain that, hey, this was kind of silent, just Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman, the writer lets us know that his disciples were not there. Now the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews, another side note, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the living water. Now there's a lot of things we see here in this scripture that's controversial. There's a lot of things we see here that would say that Jesus should not have been talking to this person. The first she points out, or the scripture points out, that he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan. That did not mingle. Now you've probably heard that all throughout your life, if you've been in church at all. You've heard at some point that Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. Okay, it's a lot uh, like conflicts now in the Middle East, right? There's just certain people groups that they do not have anything to do with each other. And when they do, oftentimes it's explosive, it turns out deadly, and it's not good. This is one of those situations. Jesus, as a, as a Jew should not have had anything to do with this Samaritan. Now now we go to a whole nother level. We add another degree to this in the fact that he was a man and he was talking to a woman. Now, we have to take it back to this day and age to understand that significance, but that should not have taken place. Okay? Not only does a Jew not talk to a Samaritan, but a man did not speak to a woman in this manner. This would have been, uh, from the outside looking in, not a very savory situation for Jesus' fellow Jews. Then we add something else to it. The fact that he would have had to drink from her cup. And we'll see that in a minute. Because he didn't have his own device. He asked her, will you draw for me some water? He didn't have something for her to pour it into. He was looking to drink directly from the device that she was using to get water for herself. So now we have Samaritan, we have woman, and we have the fact that Jews would have seen that as unsavory and unclean. So we're just adding degree on top of degree here of, of why Jesus should have nothing to do with this woman. And yet he didn't care. He didn't care whatsoever. Okay, so let's, let's continue going. In 16 it says, he told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. 
She replied, what you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming wherein you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seek. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in Spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am He. Now this is a whole new level of scandal. Okay, because not only is she Samaritan, not only is she a woman, not only was he seeking to drink from her cup, we find out that on top of all this, she's an adulterer. And the law says she gets stoned. The law says she gets stoned. So Jesus is going way outside of the bounds of what is acceptable in his culture for a Jewish man, a believer of God, to be doing in this day and age. And yet, he did not care. Now, as a good Jewish man, I said that Jesus had no reason to be where she was. He had no reason to interact with her. And yet, he allowed no label to keep him from being with her. He allowed no label to keep him from being with her, from sharing with her, from, from teaching her, from, from communicating with her. He's Jew. She's Samar- Samaritan. He's man. She's woman. He's clean. She's unclean. They had lots of things that could have separated them in that day and age. There were lots of things that would have been perfectly acceptable, not just from her side of things, that she would have looked at it and said, I totally get why this man's ignoring me. But there were more things on his side that would have said, you should be ignoring her. And yet, that did not take place. I read scripture like this. This is why I have such a huge problem with Christian separation culture. And here's where we get to the unpopular stuff. And if you hate me after this, just know I still love you. Right, But we, we'll send our kids to their own schools and we'll only do business with Christian businesses and we'll, we'll stay in our realm of things and we'll support you know, our fellow believers and, 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 and be damned with the rest of the world. We don't, we don't want anything to do with them because they don't fit our agenda, our Christian agenda. They don't fit within the walls of what we think is acceptable. But what if somebody who provides a service or somebody that you come into contact with, what if they're an atheist? What, what if that person is liberal? What if they're ultra-conservative? What if, what if they stand with her? What, what if, what if they're, they're pro-abortion? What if, what if they're gay? Do we steer clear of them? Do we say that all those that don't fit within our conservative Christian worldview, if that's the view that we have, don't have anything for me and I shouldn't have anything for them, I can't deal with them? I mean, can we still love somebody like Christ loves somebody and refuse to bake them a cake? Who said that? What You think that Jesus would have made them a cake and then shared with them how to get to heaven? Well, that person is going to be chased out of town. That's scandalous. That's not okay. 
Again, I, I told you this. I don't do shock and awe. I don't say things just to say them. I don't say things to upset people. I don't say things because I want to be on the edge. I don't say things because I want to get a reaction out of you. I say things because when I study Scripture throughout the entire week and I'm hammering away at this specific passage and I go back to it and back to it and back to it and back to it, I see that Jesus was the most inclusive person in all of humanity. And that he loved everyone despite of their label. And that he took opportunities where he could have said, I'm not going to have anything to do with that because it doesn't agree with what I agree with. And he loved those people anyways, and then he pointed them to the Father. And I just think that as Christians, that's what we're supposed to be. That's what we're supposed to do. Now you may disagree with me on a lot of things I said this morning. You may disagree with me on one or two. And if you do that, that's fine. If you want to talk about my political affiliations and ideologies and everything, we can do that somewhere else off the stage. Ask me, I'm an open book. But this is not a political statement. This, to me, is a Jesus statement. This is a Christian statement. We are to love the world in spite of their flaws. Because when we look in the mirror, when I go into the bathroom and I look in the mirror, I look at that person and I say, your facial hair looks really goofy. And then I say, you are disgusting and despicable and not worthy, and yet God loves you. How can that be? How can that be? And if God can love me, and if God can use me, then why can't he love everyone else? And why can't he use everyone else? And if we're avoiding everyone else, how can we point them back to the Father? The Bible tells us to raise our children in the way that they should go, and they will go in that way. Do we, as family members and as friends and as a community, not have more of an impact than what culture says is okay or not okay? Should we not be raising our children and teaching our friends and holding people accountable to the fact that we must love others the way that Christ has loved us? I just don't see how we can bring Jesus to the lost if we avoid the lost. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't compute. The second thing that Jesus did is that he saved people from others. He saved people from others. And you probably know where I'm going with this. But if we look at John 8, 1 through 11, it says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they brought a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has, or was caught in the act of adultery. And the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, because they wouldn't let up, they had to have their answers so they could just dig a little farther into Jesus because they needed a reason to kill him, to stone him. When they wouldn't stop questioning them, he straightened up and he said, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. And we talked about this passage a little bit first. I really like this passage. It shows the character of Jesus, but it also shows like the, how young and dumb sometimes we can be as Christians. The older ones caught on a lot quicker and they were like, Oh yeah, this is probably not what God would exactly want us to be doing right now and so as they realized that they were all with sin that they were 
all guilty of coming up short. They began to disperse until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Now keep in mind, those of you without sin may cast the first stone. At that point, Jesus could have picked up the first rock. He could have had it in his hand, and I don't know, maybe he did. And he looked at the woman and he said, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. And if he had that rock, I imagine him dropping that rock and telling her, you're free. Now, if Jesus would have just stuck to what the other religious leaders would have wanted him to do, what, what the rest of the religious culture in that day and age would have said, this is what we should do, then he would have stoned that woman. He would have allowed for it to happen. He would have said, get to your task. But Jesus stood up for somebody who was lesser than, who in the eyes of everyone else around him was not worthy of life. And said, woman, if no one else condemns you, neither do I. Now he didn't say continue to go live the life that you have been living. Continue to walk in the ways that you have been walking. Continue to have complete disregard for God in your life. No. He didn't say that. In love, he told her to go and sin no more. To go and sin no more. See, Jesus saw everyone as equal. And to him, I think there were two categories. There were those that followed God and those that didn't. That was it. Nothing else. No Roman, no, no Jew, no Samaritan. Like, he understood the labels. He had labels. He even spoke of labels, but never did a label get in the way of him letting someone know that they were loved. Never did he let a label get in the way of someone's faith curing or saving them. Never. Never. Not one time. And for those who claim to follow God, he held them to the standard that God did. Because in Matthew 7, 2, it says, For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now I want all of us to picture our judgment ruler. Okay? Now we each have one. It's a little different. The markings aren't all the same. We all have a set of standards that we judge others around us by. And all I say to you is be careful with what those standards are. Because those standards will be attributed back to you. And if you hold somebody to a certain expectation, then you better understand that not only is God going to hold you to that expectation, but everybody else is going to hold you to that as well. To those that did not believe, he pointed them to God. Jesus worried more about people than their sin. Hear me on that. He worried more about people than their sin. When you look at people, do you see them? Do you see their mistakes? Do you see something that can be loved? Or do you see everything that separates them and makes them worse than you? Which is it? Do you see people 
do you see their failures? So here's the thing. Jesus wasn't worried about their sin because Jesus ultimately saves people from their sin. And that's why we should have the same exact outlook. We shouldn't worry about the sin of others. We should just worry about how we can love them and point them to Jesus. Because at the end of the day, every sin, every single one, can be wiped away by the blood of Jesus. Every single one. John three sixteen through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. What I can't get past, what I can't get past in this passage, a passage that's like the first verse you learn, like the very first VBS I ever have any recognition of, this was the first verse that they taught us, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What I can't get past is the whomever or whoever or everyone, or whatever it is that your translation says. I cannot get past how inclusive Jesus was. That his gift was for everyone. Not just those who started out believing the way that he believed. Not just those that agreed with his worldview. But for everyone who put their faith in who he was. And if Jesus was that way, then we should be that way too. We should be that way too. Time and time again, Jesus did not allow people to be separated or excluded by their labels. Rather, he listened. He made sure they were included. He made sure that they were heard. And he made sure that they were saved if they put their faith in him. But what he didn't do was Ignore them and forget that they existed and avoid them at all costs because who knows, maybe they might lead him into sin. He understood the power of God and I just think that we should too. And it's our job as Christians to go to all nations to make disciples of all people and to let them know about the love of Jesus because Jesus doesn't prevent those who haven't believed from getting a chance to believe. I just think that as a people and as a church, our heart should be to love everyone like Jesus loved everyone. That doesn't mean that we accept every fault. That doesn't mean that we say that all behavior is okay. It just means that we understand that we screw up too. And that the only difference between us and them, quotation marks for anybody who may be listening, them, is that we've experienced the love of Jesus and through his grace, he has justified us with God. That's the only difference. Otherwise, we are all the same. We 
We're made the same. We were created by the same God. And I think it's time as people, as a nation, as a world, that we start looking for what makes us the same and not what makes us different. And I really just think that we would be in a much better place if that was our outlook. That's all I'm saying today. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now and I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are a God who loves us in spite of our flaws. You don't necessarily accept our flaws. You don't say that however we feel or whatever we want to do is okay, but you just say that despite of all that, you will love us anyways. You sent your son so that we could be with you again one day, so that we could be justified, so that we could be redeemed. Not through our perfection, but through his. God, there's sin all around us, and everywhere in the world there is sin. Help us to just see and understand that there is sin in our shoes as well. Help us to treat people with love and respect and kindness and to see their work despite of what we may think makes them imperfect. Help us to be people who love first and correct later. I ask for all these things in your son's name. Amen.